0: Bible reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain. That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord.
1: Father God, we want to hear your word. We want to understand it, and we want to apply it to our lives. Please send your spirit now be at work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our our subject this morning is hope. That's what I want to talk to you about. Where do we look when all hope is lost? All of us will have had experiences of hopeless helplessness, won't we? Uh, Financial hopeless helplessness as an unexpected expense comes in and wipes out your savings or your uh, holiday fund uh, sets you back for months or even years. Relational hopeless helplessness as a a romantic relationship you thought was going to uh, last the distance, well it comes to a sudden end. Physical hopeless helplessness as a, a routine blood test comes back and it has shocking results. And a wave of hopelessness can wash over us in all those sorts of circumstances. Just last week, I felt a little of that as we crossed the the halfway point in quarantine. And um, I I couldn't muster the strength to do anything but lay on the couch and doom scroll through the, the worst news that the world could put before me. I don't know if you find yourself doing that. At that point, Catherine called me out for having a a lying flat attitude, to put it in the the Chinese idiom. And that turns out not to be that helpful when you have a a three-year-old to look after in a small hotel room. Those of us of a more melancholy temperament, we will know uh, what it is to have an almost constant sense of hopelessness. The feeling that nothing can or will ever get better. But even the most upbeat among us will find ourselves sometimes adrift without hope. And nothing is sure to bring those feelings on as um, as much as death. I remember when I was 10 years old, my grandfather, he was diagnosed with a a severe type of cancer and it was essentially a, a death sentence. And so he and my grandmother, they moved to be closer to my family. And and my mother began to care for him. And and although the doctors said there was nothing that could be done, so long as he was living, my family had some hope. Because uh, a new alternative treatment here, a a new herbal supplement there, anything uh, that might be able to help, they were willing to try. Because you never know, this treatment might work. But of course, it it didn't work. And he just kept deteriorating. And when he finally died, that was the end of our hope. You know, it's one thing to be told by doctors that there's nothing that can be done, but, you know, who knows? They could be wrong. It is quite another thing to stand at someone's bedside as they breathe their last. Death is final, death is the end of all hope. And where do you look when all hope is lost? Well, our text this morning comes from a period in the history of God's people when it looked like all hope was lost. And I just want to draw your attention uh, to three major um, themes in Ezekiel's vision this morning. The first is the hopelessness of judgment, the second, the hope of salvation, and the third is the method of revival. The hopelessness of judgment that uh, the the first thing to notice is just how shocking Ezekiel's vision is on uh, on a purely physical level it is grisly it is grotesque it is the stuff of horror films the hand of the Lord was on me verse 1 and he brought me out into the uh, by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley it was full of bones he led me back and forth among them I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. So he's in the middle of this valley, absolutely surrounded by human bones. As far as the eye can see, sun-bleached, bright white, uh, very dry human bones scattered across the ground. Uh, These people have been dead a long time. No hint of flesh left. The birds had picked them clean, the wild animals. They're very dry. And it is a vision that on this physical level is disturbing, I think. What has happened here is the question. Uh, Why are these bodies just left out to be picked over by the wild beasts? To leave the dead unburied is a sign of immense disrespect. Even the the international human rights law says that enemy combatants need to either bury or uh, send the bodies of their enemies back uh, to their own countries. But for the people of God, it was more than just disrespect. It was a sign of God's judgment. For bodies to be left out in the elements without anyone to care enough about them, to, to gather them up, to carry them, uh, and to bury them, that is a sign of God's curse in the Old Testament. And so for Ezekiel, it was not only physical Uh, physically disturbing, but spiritually disturbing. Here's a field of people, a, a valley full of people that are cursed by God, and we're left to wonder, who are these people? What has happened? But we don't have to wonder for long, because the explanation is in verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're cut off. And immediately we see that the Valley of Dry Bones is this symbolic vision which is showing the spiritual state of the people of Israel. The the people of Israel, God's people, they're very much physically alive, but according to this vision, spiritually dead. And a few decades earlier, Ezekiel had witnessed this death in 587 B.C., Jerusalem, the the capital city, the last outpost of the hope of the nation was finally routed by the Babylonians. And the center of Israel's political life, their spiritual life, uh, it, it was utterly destroyed. God's people carried off into exile. And that is where they were to live, if you could indeed call it living, as the conquered slaves of a strange people in a strange land. By the the rivers of Babylon they sat and wept, remembering all that they had lost. And there they remained for decades. They were lamenting. Our bones are dried up. The past held only despair as far as they could remember. Our hope is gone. The the present is painful. There's nothing to look forward to. We are cut off. Uh, Their future was grim. Well, oh, why? Why had it come to this? Because they had rejected God's loving rule in their lives, and they were cast out of his presence. Ezekiel's vision is a symbolic vision of a desperate spiritual reality of life under God's judgment. Hopeless helplessness. And friends, according to the scriptures, these dry bones of Ezekiel's vision, they represent more than just the people of Israel. They show the spiritual reality of humanity of all people who ignore and reject God's loving rule in their lives. What hope is there for humanity under God's judgment? Now Adam and Eve, they rejected God's loving rule in the garden and they were cast out of God's loving presence into a world cursed by sin and death. What hope is there for a humanity that's rejected God's loving rule? Israel, the the people who were supposed to be the solution to the problem of Adam and Eve, well, they rejected God's loving rule and were exiled out of His presence into uh, Babylon, out of the Promised Land, scattered in exile and they were crying out, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we're cut off. What hope is there for humanity under God's judgment? The New Testament tells us that what was true for them is true for all people who ignore and reject God's loving rule in their lives. In Romans 6, Paul tells us that by nature we are slaves to sin, which leads to death helpless to serve any other master. Ephesians 2 says that everyone who allows the desires of their own flesh and uh, the the ways of the world to rule over them is already dead in sins and transgressions. It's not a future state. You're already dead. Most of us, we, we like to think that we're not really so bad we might be a bit imperfect perhaps a bit flawed but all it would really take is for us to make a decision to uh, clean up our act we and we could basically do that if we just really um, pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps we could clean up our act we think we could sort ourselves out and we think of ourselves as basically spiritually healthy but just needing a top-up once in a while, or if we're not spiritually healthy, well, then it's something outside of our uh, own fault. It's something about our circumstances that's to blame for that. You know, if Hong Kong would just get rid of these COVID measures, if the political situation uh, would change, then we might revive, we think. As somebody who's just been elsewhere in the world, and others of us have recently been elsewhere, you know that the people elsewhere are pointing to other things in their lives and saying, if only these things were sorted out, I would be revived. I would be healthy spiritually again. Everyone in the world is dried up. They all blame different things. They blame inflation or Brexit or the war in Ukraine. They blame... or whatever else, external to themselves. They think, if only we could get over this circumstantial thing, I'd be spiritually healthy again. But that is not how God sees it. The story of humanity throughout Scripture is very different to that story. It's very different from what we tend to think. God says, you are as dead as dry bones apart from me. dry bones cannot sort themselves out. We are spiritually hopeless and helpless to escape God's judgment. And I don't know if you have um, specific things that are weighing on you right now. But this is the spiritual reality of life apart from God, whatever your circumstances are. Which makes the question asked in verse 3 a ridiculous one, doesn't it? He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? What a ridiculous question that is. The answer is, of course, no, dry bones, long dead. People who've been dead for mere minutes, maybe with the the right sort of medical treatment, they can be shocked back to life and and brought back and and breathe again because uh, they haven't been gone for very long, but dead, dry bones, no technique can help them. And yet, Ezekiel knows the one he's speaking to, and he answers far more humbly than we might. I said, O sovereign Lord, You alone know. And that is a good sort of answer when you're talking to God. You alone know. You alone can tell me. You alone can help. Which leads to the second major thing of this passage, the hope of salvation. For as we read the passage, there does seem to be hope. Verse 4. I don't have anything more than a high school anatomy class to really draw on, but I, I understand this to be the complete reversal of the decaying process. Um, just as the, uh, the bones are all that's left at the end of decay, uh, here they're what's started with, and then um, the tendons form, and, and then the flesh covers over, and then the skin... I, it, for whatever reason in my mind, I have the, the um, uh, film Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Nazi opens the ark and his face melts off. Well, this is the reversal of that. You play that in reverse, and that's what happens here. Ezekiel is simply to speak to the bones, to proclaim to them what the Lord will do. He is to declare that the Lord will attach the tendons to the bones, to cover the flesh, then the skin, and finally... put his life-giving breath into them. Now the word translated here as breath, it's the same word translated as wind in verse 9, as spirit in verses 1 and 14. And so as God's breath, his life-giving spirit is poured out, that is how these dry bones will again live. And so Ezekiel does, as he's told, he speaks the message that God has given him. And as he does, something amazing begins to happen. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, the bones coming together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. You can imagine the the clicking, the clacking of the bones coming together in this desert wasteland. And as they do, the destruction that they underwent so many years ago is reversed. Tendons and and flesh and skin, but as though to build the tension, the process isn't complete. We have now these bodies strewn about in the desert, but still dead bodies. God tells Ezekiel, speak my message again, and so he does. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Those formerly slain under God's judgment, hopeless under God's curse, now stand restored as a powerful army. As his word and his spirit work together, we see a picture of God's resurrection power. Just as in creation, God uh, put breath into the dust and made Adam. So here he recreates a people for himself from dry, dusty bones by his life-giving spirit. We know, historically speaking, that um, It it was only a short time later that something of this resurrection took place as after 70 years, the people of uh, Israel were brought back into the Promised Land and and, um, that seemed impossible and yet through uh, Cyrus the Great and others, they returned and they rebuilt the temple and God's loving presence and rule were restored. But God had more in store for them and for us because centuries later, A man took this imagery of this vision and he made it a reality. A man who spoke God's word, breathed out God's life-giving spirit. Jesus, he stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man, four days dead, came out. It must have seemed mad, but God's word and God's life-giving spirit worked together. And the dead man came out, still in his grave clothes and all. The people must have been thinking at that time of verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I bring you up from them. And later, three days after Jesus had been killed on the cross, When he burst forth from the tomb, alive again, just as he said he would, the penny must have dropped. They must have known that Jesus was the Lord. He is the one who brings bones to life. And what is more, he enlists his followers in this mission. Because when the, the resurrected Jesus, he first appeared to his disciples at the end of John's Gospel. They're in a locked room. They're hiding out of fear. Jesus appears among them. He says, uh, peace be with you. And then he he adds this this, um, strange thing. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. The spirit that gave life to Adam in the garden, the spirit that gave flesh to dry bones, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit given to every man, woman, and child who turns to Christ. And so we need to be clear, what is the method of revival? And that is the last point. What is the method of God's uh, revival? Well, you know, from that day to ours, the Lord has continued this resurrection campaign in the world uh, by the same means. Everywhere that his message is proclaimed, the message of Jesus Christ uh, killed on the cross for sin, raised by God's power, and, and risen... Uh, to the right hand of the Father. Everywhere where that message is proclaimed, the Spirit works to raise spiritually dead people. That's what happened at Pentecost last week in the church calendar. That was Pentecost. Um, and it celebrates that day on the church's calendar when, as soon as the message of Jesus was proclaimed uh, and, and people received it, the Spirit fell. And thousands of people were given new life, new hope, new joy. And so I want you to imagine, if you would, the, the people that you know who are least likely to become Christians, to be interested at all. Who is least likely? The, the disinterested family members, the disgruntled colleagues, the, the Hindu, the, the Muslim, the, the atheist friend, or Perhaps it might be, it might be you. You might think, I'm a hopeless case. It might seem impossible, but God has done the impossible before. That's the point of this. God gives life to dry bones. And if you feel like you could use some hope, if you feel like the weight of God's judgment is on you, This morning, if you think, hey, that new life and joy and future offered by Jesus, that sounds pretty good, well, then perhaps God's Spirit is breathing on you. Perhaps the tendons and the flesh and the skin are beginning to form, and you're beginning to turn to the only one, the Sovereign Lord, who alone knows how to revive you. So if this is how God works to revive, what should we do? Well, just a, a few quick thoughts. First, if that is how God revives people, then you should look around and see a dozen plus people, more than a dozen people who have been revived, have found new life. They're living testimonies to the power of God's word, and you're seated near them. You could speak with them. You could hear about what he's done for them and in them. Speak to them. If it really is the case that humanity is dead and dry bones because of sin and the the spirit revives, then every Christian person you know has a, a miracle story to tell, and you have one to tell. Secondly, starting right now, I want you to make hearing God's Word on Sunday, a and probably, possibly other days, but certainly on a Sunday, the priority of your week. If you are only going to be raised by the Word, acting with the Spirit's power in your life, then if you are not making this a priority, this uh, being in church, hearing God's Word, then You are not where you need to be. Church has to be the top priority in our our weekly list, among the top priorities, both for us and for our families. That might mean that we need to move other things out of our lives. That might mean we actually need to physically move to be able to make it. But if this is true, if what Ezekiel sees is true... It's got to be the priority. Lastly, we need to start building platforms for others to hear the gospel. That's all we need to do as a church. We don't need to resurrect people. We don't need to, to try to pump life into dead, dusty bones. We just need a platform for the gospel to be heard. And the more platforms where the gospel is being heard, Sunday mornings. Uh, maybe Wednesday evenings, but uh, outreach groups where the gospel can be proclaimed. Um, Whatever things we can do to get this word out, that is where we should expect to see God's resurrection power at work and where we will see it at work. So what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What are the platforms that we can do as a church together? That's what I'm interested in hearing. That's what I'm interested in in taking forward this summer and into the year ahead. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. When we see people coming to life, we'll know that the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we trust your promises are good. We trust that your word is true. We know, many of us here this morning, we know the life-giving, spirit-renewing power of your word. And Lord, we long to see that word going out and reviving others, delivering other people from judgment, Lord, please, would you help us to arrange our lives in ways that we can hear that word when we we are dry and dusty, and that we can help others to hear as well. Please give us creativity and insight and wisdom into how best to witness for you in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.